You may want to turn in your Bible. I'm going to ask you about three times to turn to a passage. First uh, Timothy chapter 1 would be the first one that I'm going to encourage you to turn to when we get there. This morning, uh, we are going to look at a two-part series, or two-part sermon, uh, one today and one next week, uh, or the next time I preach. <clears throat> and uh, we are contrasting law and grace. Why we're doing this is this. Lots of Christians have a wrong concept. And I'm talking about people that are totally liberal, as well as people who are fundamentalists, and they say, we believe everything the Bible says. And somehow or the other, in one way, shape, or form, they believe that we are still in some way under the Old Testament law. That is totally not true. It is something that totally will strangle our spiritual growth and uh, just keep us from being all that God has designed us to be uh, in His working in our lives. I believe it's one of the most misunderstood concepts. Because people will say, well, murder is still wrong, and adultery is still wrong, and lying is still wrong. So aren't we under the law? Well, I just would say this, that long before the law was, that principle was still true. It was, murder was just as bad back when uh, Cain killed Abel. Lying was wrong when Abraham lied about his wife. Uh, you name it, all of those things have always been true. I will also tell you that if you believe we're under the law, you're living at way too low a standard. For example, the law says thou shalt not murder. The New Testament agrees with that, but it says, if you have hatred toward your brother, you're already a murderer. That standard is too high. I can't reach high enough. The Old Testament says, don't commit adultery. The New Testament says, ha, if you looked in the wrong direction and your mind is wrong and you have lust, you've already committed adultery even though you've never touched that person. The point is, we live at a much, much higher standard than the law. The law was an external restraint given to the people, to specific people, for a specific reason, for a specific time. Nothing wrong with it. In fact, is Romans chapter 7, verse 21 says the law is holy, righteous, and good. Nothing wrong with it. But it couldn't be fulfilled because it was not fulfilled by faith and it could never bring salvation. A lot of people believe that, uh, you know, you can get saved if you could keep the law. Well, you really can't because it's not of faith, and God makes it very clear that our salvation is by grace through faith, uh, but nobody could ever do it. The only person that ever fulfilled that was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and he did it on our behalf, and then he died for us and gave us what the law never could give us. And if the law couldn't save us to start with, and I'm not going to uh, deal with all of this today, it takes two sermons to do this, but uh, if it couldn't save us, it can't make us better. It can't continue on in that direction. Here's the deal. The law says, do this and live. Carry this out and you will live. Every one of the Ten Commandments has a death penalty except the last one, thou shalt not covet. And if you covet, you will break one of the other ones. And you're still in big trouble. On the other hand, under grace, it's all finished and complete. 
by Jesus Christ, he offers it to us as a gracious gift. That's something that is not cheap. It costs the life of Jesus Christ. It costs his blood. It costs separation from God the Father. But he offers to us without price and without us paying for it or having to uh, give him back something for that. It's grace. It's a gift. And that's the only way we can be saved. So we need to keep that. The New Testament says that it's by grace, it's by the Spirit, you're going to see that one also, and it's by faith. There's a few other things we could throw in there, but not a single one of them has to do with doing the law. I will challenge you because some of you are going to go, you have lost your marbles. That's okay, you can do that. But I'm going to challenge you. If you don't like what I say this morning and next week, I'm going to challenge you, read the book of Romans, read the book of Galatians, and read the book of Hebrews. And then if you still have questions, by all means, talk to me. Because it is so, so, so clear that Jesus Christ is the one who fulfilled the law. So, I have a half an hour to do this. And uh, by the way, don't be offended because I have a family get-together to go to. And my wife is taking the main dish. And she gave me strict orders. Don't look to the right nor to the left. Just go right out the door and keep going. So, um, just... Understand that's what I'm going to do. And I can't get this thing to switch, Jeff. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on. But if you could switch that for me, I'd appreciate it. We're going to... It didn't switch. Still back where we were. I don't know what the deal was. It worked at a level to serve. Okay, i got to keep, keep going. So anyway, we're going to find... Okay, here we are. The one verse that puts all of this in perspective. John chapter 1, verse 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. You know, it can't get much clearer than that. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the persons who are at the head of this. Moses, a great prophet, a great leader. God's chosen person to speak to the nation of Israel. Spoke to Pharaoh too. But Jesus Christ, the one who is the ultimate. And he's not just a good person. He is God who took on a human body, human personality, and everything else human except sin. He is the one that represents the new covenant, the, the law of grace, not the old covenant. So there's two different people, total contrast. But then there are the participants. The participants, according to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at this when we get to this far in Exodus, it makes it clear that the law was given uh, to Moses to give to the people. It says in verse 27, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Moses being a Hebrew and with the nation of Israel. It was not for Gentiles. It was for the Hebrews, for the Jewish people, for the Israelites. That's what it makes very clear in the Old Testament. The New Testament says it this way in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. It says there that um, for when the Gentiles do, who do not have the law instinctively do the things of the law, these not having a law are a law unto themselves. And then it goes on to say that our thoughts alternately accusing or defending us. That's our conscience. We're not anti-law, 
But when we're talking about the Old Testament law, we do not live under the law. There are New Testament laws, the law of Christ, the law of liberty, the royal law, all kinds of laws and rules and stuff in the New Testament. But that's not the Old Testament law. We're not under that. But he makes it very clear. The Gentiles who do not have the law. They have a law, but it's inside. It's their conscience. It also goes on to say, and this is where I ask you to turn, because there is a New Testament use for the law. Not to get saved, not to make you better. In fact is, it says, well, I'm going to simply read it, starting at verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Notice what it says. There is a New Testament reason for the law. Realizing that the law is not made for a righteous person. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the law is not for you. You've been made righteous. The righteous has been credited to your account. You're already righteous. You simply need to live it out. He said the law is not for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious and ungodly and sinners and unholy and profane, those who kill their mothers and fathers for murders, for immoral men, homosexuals, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whoever, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Guess what? If you want to use the law as a Christian, I only know one use. And I've done it, and maybe you have done it. Because when I witness to people, every now and then I ask them, well, are you going to heaven? Oh, yeah. Oh, how do you know you're going to heaven? A lot of the answers are this. Well, you have to believe in Jesus and keep the law or keep the Ten Commandments. I'll say something like that. And I say, oh, that's very interesting. I half agree with you, but I don't totally agree with you. By the way, can you tell me what the Ten Commandments are? And I've used this illustration before. It's a real one. Is the most anybody has ever given me is ten, I mean six of the Ten Commandments. And I look at them and say, well, how do you know you're going to heaven? You don't even know what they are. How in the world do you know if you're keeping them? One lady, Brian and I, Irely and I were witnessing to her, and she said, no, I gave you seven, and I was keeping count. I said, no, you gave me seven, but one of them was the duplicate of the other one. Uh, she didn't like that, but nonetheless, she thought she was good enough and was going to keep the law. Guess what? You cannot do that. But the law can show you that you fall so far short of God's desire and design for mankind. Shows us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. We'll talk about that in the next sermon. But you can use it to say, here's a mirror. Do you match what God expects from you? That's the only use for the law that I know of in the New Testament. Remember, these principles... Listed, uh, existed long before and exists long after. But uh, we don't live by the law. But here's the deal. When we come to the other side, and I put those in red, hopefully you can read them, 
The good news of her grace is for all people, Jews and Gentiles. In the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, it says that Jesus Christ came for the, to proclaim to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. You see, what we offer doesn't matter if you had the law or didn't have the law. It is above and beyond. It's something new. And that's what Jesus Christ has done uh, for us. It continues on to make it very clear in Acts chapter 26. that uh, In verse 23 it says this. Christ was to suffer, and by, that, by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. The message of Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ is for all people. No restrictions. The law was just to one group of people. What Jesus Christ did was for all people. And one last one. You know Romans chapter 3, verse 23. If you haven't memorized scripture in a long time, memorize this one. Because it's a good one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So everybody has sinned, so we're all in big trouble. Uh, whether we had the law or didn't have the law, all people were sinners. But then it goes on in verse 28 and read the whole thing. For we maintain that man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. If it's apart, it means it doesn't have anything to do with it. It's separate from the law. Why? Because it's by grace. We're justified, declared righteous by faith through grace. I mean, by grace through faith. That's the only way you can get saved. Keeping the law cannot do that. And I would tell you that... Uh, you might be here and you say, I'm a religious person and I do this, this, and this. I don't care what system it is. No system can save you. No system of laws. We're talking very specifically about the Old Testament law in this case. What are the provisions? Well, the provisions that God has made for us are pretty straightforward. In fact, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and this would be a good one to read also. I'm going to start... In verse 5, there it says, Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. In other words, nothing you can do meets the standard at all. Verse 6, who, this is God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Remember we saw that the old covenant was made on Sinai? He says there's a new covenant. Something that didn't exist before. Now notice the rest of it. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to be even more with glory? Now, there's a lot being said there, but here's the bottom line of that whole thing. It's a new covenant, and it says the one that was in stone. Sometimes we'll say, you know, we'll be speaking, and uh, you'll say something. You go, well, is, is that regulation, is that in stone? 
Well, we get it from the Ten Commandments. Chiseled in stone. The only part of the Bible that's chiseled in stone. So you, you can't really get this wrong. Letters engraved on stones. He said it had glory. It had brilliance. It had brilliance for a few reasons. It showed what God was like and what we were not like. You know, it, it showed us the exceeding sinfulness of sin. It showed us God's types of expectations. He says it had glory. It wasn't a bad thing. But he says here's what happens. Those letters, they don't bring life. The letter kills. You want to put yourself under the law, and I don't care if you think you're doing it for salvation or to, to become a stronger Christian or holy or righteous or anything else. It's a ministry of death. That's what it says. It is a ministry of death. That is not what I'm proclaiming, and I sure hope you're not trying to live that way. Because the law only brought a curse, it brought death, it brought destruction of every sort. That's why we can sing what Will was leading us in this morning. It's the blood of Christ, it's Him. That last song, if that last song doesn't get your blood pumping, I don't know what, you need, you need to go to the doctor, see if your heart still works. You know, man, that's what we have. But the law is a ministry of death. Engraved in stone, it's a ministry of death. It never can give life. What do we have? In Him, we have redemption through blood. Redemption is something that you use to pay the bill. My wife gets me to print stuff off the computer, and it comes in the mail, and she takes it to the store, and it helps pay the bill. That's what you do. You redeem a coupon or a certificate or whatever else, and it helps pay the bill. I wish those paid the whole bill, but they don't. They pay a, you know, 10% or whatever it is. This case, he paid the whole bill, the whole price of our sin. There is nothing that you need to pay for. It's already paid. In fact, is to try to pay for it by working laws. You're thumbing your nose at the work of Christ. You're depreciating. You're saying you didn't quite do good enough. That's just totally backwards. That's not what the scripture says. In fact, as it goes on in the same vein... In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, here's what it says. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the payment. You can't keep the law. It's the old covenant. You cannot keep it. And if you try, you're simply working with a ministry of death. We have the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which gives life. Go back under the law, it's death. Other places we'll see in the future, uh, it brings a curse. But now, if you want to turn to one more passage, Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, starting at verse 6. Because we're now going to look at the permanence. I already said this. The law was given to a specific people, the Jews, for a specific time, for a specific purpose. Now we're going to look at, does it continue on? Is this something that we should continue? The answer is going to be unequivocally no. There is no way we are going to do that. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 makes it clear it is obsolete. It is vanish, vanishing away. But I want to go 
start before that so you get a context. And uh, the context of, of chapter 8, verse 6, is going to tell you a whole lot about the whole book of Hebrews. Notice what it says, Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry. The law had a ministry. Moses had a ministry. He says, Jesus Christ has a ministry that's way more excellent. By as much as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. They had a covenant from Mount. He has a new covenant. And it's a better covenant. Way above the old one. Which has been enacted on better promises. The Old Testament made promises. The law made promises. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings a curse. They found out that that actually works. There were promises. But Christ's promises are way above that. Again, I, my arms aren't long enough to say how much how higher it is than the old covenant. It's just what it is. In fact, is, it's, it continues on. If the old covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. So he's saying there was an old covenant. And if that would have been faultless, doesn't mean it was in error. Doesn't mean it was bad. It's holy, righteous, and good. Has glory. Has all of those things. It wasn't in error. But it couldn't save anyone. And no one could carry it out. That's why, that's why it was, had a fault. Nobody could carry it out. Nobody could live by it. Everybody failed. He said, then there's a second. And he goes on in verse 8 to say, I will effect a new covenant. And it is with the house of um, the, the Jewish people. And then verse 9 says, and it's not like the covenant which I made with your fathers, which was Sinai. He says, so it's not like that covenant. But verse 10 says, here's what the new covenant is going to look like. I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Notice, this is written not on stone, chiseling it in. Nothing wrong with that. But he says, I got something new. It's inside. It's on the mind. It's in the heart. It's personal. And notice, the Old Testament, there was personal interaction. But he says, this one here is personal. When people talk, have you personally accepted Jesus Christ? Is he your personal Savior? I don't have a problem with that. Some people do. I don't. Because he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. That is a close, intimate relationship that you cannot have with law. Law is adversarial. This is, no, we're in this together. And it is a new covenant. Verse 13. Then he said, a new covenant he has made. The, when he, I'm sorry, when he said, a new covenant, he made the first obsolete. Notice, it is obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. That was written 2,000 years ago. It happened. Jesus Christ totally fulfilled that. And so we're under a new covenant. Most of you know my wife and I rent out apartments. And every now and then we have to change a lease. A lease is a covenant. It's a contract. And we have to make a new one for whatever reason. The moment that new one is signed... The old one is totally null and void. has nothing whatsoever to do with the relationship we have with the tenant. It's completely new. Most of those, those are just minor details and, you know, that kind of thing. 
In this case, it's completely different. Not like the old one. Ours are a little bit like the old one. Not this one. It is very clearly not like the old covenant. It's something completely new. And you cannot mix the two. The Apostle Paul said they've been bewitched when you try to mix the two together. And so it is obsolete. Has no use anymore. It is also a shadow of things to come. That's Hebrews chapter uh, 10 verse 1. If I'm hiding behind a tree and I think I'm hiding from you, but, but the sun's giving me away and my shadow, they can say, hey, Pastor Paul's behind the tree. Now you can't see me, but you can see the shadow of it. He said the old was simply a shadow of what God was going to do in Jesus Christ. It was just a shadow of the things to come. But it wasn't the real thing. And that what there was the shadow there? Sacrifices being offered that could never take away one single solitary sin. He said, but there was a shadow of sacrifice to come of a new covenant. And then he goes on to even say, it's taken away. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 9. It says that Behold, I have come to do your will, talking about Jesus. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. You take it away, it's null and void, but you establish. It is confirmed for the future. Wow. Again, a complete break. The next one is probably the one that I would just take your attention to. If you need one verse to solidify it in your mind, that would be Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Because a lot of people will say, well, I know you don't get saved by keeping the law. Okay? And I would agree with them. But here's what, that, that is not what this says. This says that those who believe in Christ. It's the end of the law for righteousness. Period. Why? Because when you trust Christ, He credits to your account God's righteousness. You cannot get righteousness from any other source. Period. You cannot add to it. It's a perfect righteousness. There's nothing you can do except accept it and live it out. That's to do. That's why I said, if you're trying to live by the law of any sort, I don't care what it is, or we're talking specifically about the Old Testament law, but you know what? You're living a way, 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 way too low of a standard. Because we live according to the righteousness that God has added to us through Jesus Christ. Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. I don't know how clearer than that. But we will look at a whole bunch of other things. And the last thing is, when I use the word death or dead, what's, what's the word that comes to mind? Separation. Thank you. Yeah, separation. Notice what it says here. It simply says that through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. When you look at the law, you're separated from God. You go, well, I don't meet that standard. So you're separated from God. You're a sinner, right? Spiritually dead. And he said, when I looked at that, I realized that I'm separated. For what reason? So that I might live to God. Unless you separate yourself from the law, you can't live to God. 
that's that big a contrast. There's way more in all of these passages. But let's look at the and end with the good stuff. This is what I like. Because we'll look at the permanence of it. First of all, we already saw this one. He has established his new covenant. It's all in Jesus Christ. That's why I told Will after the second service, I appreciate the songs we sang this morning because they all point us to Christ, point us to Christ, point us to Christ, point us to Christ. His work, his finished work. Nothing you can add. You were free, free. I, I don't know, man. I, I got goosebumps even saying that when, when I sing that. I'm not a singer. That's why they don't ask me to sing on the team. But, uh, man, you, you start... Wow, we're free from that old bondage, the death, the curse, all that stuff. We're free from that. Why? He established a new covenant. Took away the first. Established the second. What above the old one. But it doesn't end there. It is based on a finished work. I want to read you this because it... The book of Hebrews shows us that superiority of Christ over angels, over Melchizedek, over the law, over everything you can think of. Christ is superior. I'm just going to read this. You can, you can hear exactly what it says. You don't need me to explain it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. By this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. I'll explain one thing. There were no seats in the temple or the tabernacle because the priests were never done. Sin was never dealt with. Finally, smashed, done with, never happened. They were always offering sacrifices. Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father because the work is finished, complete, kaput. It's done. Everything's been taken care of. And he's going to be there until everything is dealt with, all his enemies or his footstool. Wow. That's the covenant we have, folks. Don't go back to something that couldn't give life, that brought death, that brought a curse, that was out of fault. Why? Not because it was erroneous, simply because it could never bring anything that we need. This next one is one I really like. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. A number of years ago, I was dealing with someone who had been involved in the, cult, uh, the old cult. And I asked them many times, I had witnessed to them many times, and I said, what stops you from trusting Christ? And they said, a blood covenant that had been take, taken place years and years before that. You know, I made a blood covenant. I said, let me show you the, the final one. Let me show you the Trump one. Let me show you the one that's above and beyond all of those things. Showed this verse. Praise the Lord shortly thereafter the person trusted Christ. Because I said, there's a covenant that's eternal and it's in the blood of Christ. Not some 
lamb's blood or your blood or anybody else's blood. It's the blood of Christ, perfect and spotless as we read before. That's where we live in. Folks, you can't add anything to this. It's eternal. It's permanent. It's perfect. It's complete. It's finished. Nothing more can be added. But it goes on to say, again, I don't know how you get around this. Romans chapter 7, verse 6, it says, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that which we were bound. When you die to the law, you're separated from it. So that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Just in case you were wondering, he puts it in there. So it's not like the old letters in stone. It's something new. That's the way we do it. We, it's grace, it's faith, and it's in the Spirit. God has given us better things. I'm going to end with the one we already looked at. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. The old one's obsolete. You know, I had a, I'm not going to do this anymore, but I used to have a flip phone. And my kids said, Pop, about time for you to get in the 21st century. You know what? Now that I get used to this thing, I have it upside down, sorry. But uh, <laughs> now that I, <laughs> okay, I'm still working on it, okay. Uh, but now that I have this, I actually text people. And they text me. And, and there, there's some good stuff about that. I don't think texting's for everything. But you know what? I, the old one's obsolete. I don't want anything to do with that. This is so much better. Guess what? That's still two phones. When we come to what Christ has done, it's not two phones. It's not one old lease and a new lease that are a little bit different. It's totally different. Folks, if you have been held down by the belief that you are still keeping some kind of a law to please the Lord, to show you love the Lord, to get righteous or holy or whatever, throw it away and live by faith in the grace that God has given. Live by the Holy Spirit. He's given you a conscience and works in ways high, high above. And now if I don't quit, I'm going to be in trouble with the boss. So let's all stand and we're going to close. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that has done so much above and beyond anything the law could ever do. Lord, it was good. And it was right and holy. But Lord, you have done so much more for us. And I pray that we would never be entrapped by those old legalistic things. Not living by the law, but we will live so much higher above that. Lord, you told us the whole law was fulfilled by loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. Lord, we live at a, a standard, a level that those under the law could never even understand. And I pray that that's how we would live every step of the way, every moment of the day. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.